Okay, we are, um, we are going to come back together now. And normally this would be a time when we come back together and do uh, where we receive our offering as well as we um, have time of community prayer. But we're going to actually weave that into the sermon, both of those, uh, because of the topic in which we're addressing. We're here this morning because we are worshipers of God. And as worshipers of God, a part of that is realizing that we live in a broken, evil, fallen, divided world. We've been reminded of that uh, every day uh, for the past several weeks, really with an escalation this week uh, with war breaking out in Russia and Ukraine. There are times when the church needs to speak directly into what is happening in the world. Uh, There are certain events that happen in the world that really demand the attention of the church. The coronavirus, when the world stopped, was an example of that. Uh, The last political election was an example of that. And war is an example of when the church needs to speak into the moment and space in which she lives and which she is facing. War has always been with us. You can go back to biblical times, certainly within the 20th century. There are all types of wars in this world. Uh, There are constant wars. The conflict between uh, Israel and the Palestinians and the nations around Israel, going all the way back, certainly thousands of years, but specifically in the 20th century and from 1948 when Israel was established as a nation, we hear about wars all of the time going on. We can see civil war in countries like Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Yemen. When you go to places in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, there are always wars that are happening in terms of uh, drug cartels, ethnic uh, cleansing, terrorism. Certainly in the post-World War II era, in the Cold War, we hear of threats of nuclear war, of countries that have weapons of mass destructions who are eminent threats. Since the 1800s, there there have been 64 million people, 64 million people that have died of war in Europe. So war happens all of the time. But it doesn't necessarily mean that every single war that happens must be addressed by the church on a Sunday morning. And so you have to discern, at what point do we need to speak directly into the wars that are happening in this world? Because war is happening every day in, every, in many countries around the world. And I use two criterias to determine whether we should address the topic of war Uh, at a worship service. The first criteria is, is the scope of the war that is happening demanding the world's attention? Is the scope of the war having broad, wider implications that the world together is looking at? And secondly, is there something about the war that is happening that particularly moves us? beyond what is normal about war. What might move us is perhaps the stories that we are seeing, the suffering, the level of suffering that's happening. What might move us might might be a direct connection that we have here at this church to an embattled region. And so when I look at war, I understand it's happening all of the time, but I really use those two criteria. Uh, What is the scope of it? And what is there a, a particular sense that we're being moved by it? And I think that when we look at the conflict in Russia and Ukraine, it fits both of those criteria. This has certainly garnered the world's attention. You're talking about the invasion of another country. Yes, it's on the other side of the world. Uh, but you now have a 30, some 30 countries in NATO involved in this to one degree or another. You're talking about an intercontinental uh, issue. You're talking about 
a war that has geopolitical ramifications beyond the region of Russia and Ukraine. People are asking out there, uh, what are the implications for China and Taiwan? You're talking about uh, reorganizing certain elements of the banking system. You're talking about the stock market that goes up and down dramatically based on this news. And so this has really garnered the world's attention, what has happened over the past week in the war with Ukraine and Russia. And secondly, the criteria of does it move us, particularly. Um, you know, you, you and I, we're watching, uh, you know, we're reading what's happening. And I have been moved, as you have been, when we look at a leader like uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, man who was a comedian a few years ago, now he's president of Ukraine. And that video of where he's, he's there at night, knowing that the Russian forces are coming to bear on Kiev, and he's sh- uh, showing a video of him and his cabinet saying that we are here. We, our citizens are here. We are fighting for our independence. It was so moving to me as a leader. He would stay there wondering if it was going to be his last day alive. Uh, you and I saw the videos of the soldiers on Snake Island when the Russian ships were approaching and they were saying, you better surrender, you all dozen of you on this little island, or we will bomb you. And uh, the Ukrainian soldiers were defiant, and then the Russians threw their bombs at them, just killed all 12 of them or so that were there. Uh, very dramatic. You and I have seen the videos of the father crying, as he's putting his eight-year-old daughter on the bus, saying goodbye, wondering if he's ever going to see them, her again. We're moved when we see cars eight, six miles long in the snow, waiting to flee uh, to Poland, and seeing people walk 10 miles in sub-zero temperatures, some people uh, sleeping in the snow. And so we're moved by this. And it's because of the scope of the world's attention on this war and is because we are moved by this. We felt it was important to address the topic of war this morning and how to have a biblical perspective. Now, there are a lot of things that we could talk about this morning when we think about war and a biblical perspective. We could look at the angle of um, how God commanded his people to go into the promised land, and that was war after war as God's people took possession of the land and there was a lot of people who died. We could talk about how does God, how does it justify that God commands his people to go in and slay the Canaanites and, and so forth that were in the promised land. We could talk, talk about the ethics of that and, and how that was a unique time that God um, had to expel the pagans from the land. We're not going to talk about that this morning, though we could. We could talk about uh, Christian ethics about what constitutes a just war for Christians to be a part of. We could look at, uh, at uh, Augustine and his just war theory of going to war when it would stop evil, but not to promote it. We're not going to do that this morning, although we could. We could also look at the topic of just the general sense. Why does God allow evil to happen? Why does God even allow war to happen? Look at it from Christian ethics from that perspective. That's valid, but we're not going to do that this morning. You have to make decisions when you talk about war and the Christian faith, because it's so, such a large topic, so many angles. And so for this morning, we're going to look at four different aspects to provide a biblical perspective on war that I thought were particularly relevant to our conversations here today. We're going to look at the element of prayer, the element of Christians helping, the element of asking ourselves, what is the real war? Who is the real hero? Who is the real savior? And number four, we're going to look at the aspect of war in the end times and reminding ourselves of that. We're going to look at those specific four aspects. And so uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures, going to make some commentary. We're going to have uh, you guys are going to be asked to pray during the sermon. We're going to be asked to give, etc. So um, let's pray together and just ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we come to you this morning.
We humble ourselves and we seek you out, asking, Lord, that you would heal the land, asking that your church um, would rise up amidst the persecution, that you would embolden them, that you would give them grace, you would strengthen them, you would protect them. Those believers who are caught in the middle uh, in Ukraine, even in Russia, we pray that there would be um, a peaceful resolution as even this morning there were reports that there's going to be talks between Putin and Zelensky. And we are very hopeful for that, Lord. It is during this time, Lord, that we ask that you would, you would impress upon us your wisdom on how we as believers, um, an ocean apart, who enjoy the luxury of not having bombs fall upon our heads right now, but nevertheless can do something, nevertheless need to have a God-honoring, God-glorifying, God-truthful perspective on conflict, on war, and, um, and our role in this and yours. And so we pray you would bless this time this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So let's take a look at four aspects of a biblical perspective on war. Number one, when believers look at the topic of war, one of the first things that we should do is to pray. We should pray. And the Bible calls believers to pray for many things. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, I'll just summarize it here. The Apostle Paul says that he urges Timothy to pray for all men, for all of those uh, people who are in positions of power, for rulers, for authorities. And he says to pray that we may live peaceful and dignified and godly lives, etc. And he says to pray for the leader's salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And so for one of the first things that we should be doing as believers during this time is when war breaks out, we want to pray. We want to pray on our own. We want to pray with other believers. And we want to pray that we would live peaceful and godly and dignified lives. We want to pray for the leader's salvation, for the salvation of Biden and and Congress, and the Senate, and Putin, and his cabinet, and Zelensky, and his cabinet, all of these leaders, that they would come to know the Lord, and if they don't know the Lord, that they would follow him in wisdom, and so that we can live peaceful lives. want to pray for that. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 6, that the poor man calls upon the Lord, and the Lord saves him from his troubles. There are many poor people that are being created by this crisis. And yet, the psalmist says that we, the poor man is to cry out to the Lord who can save him from his troubles. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15, a favorite proverb of mine. It says that when God's justice is done, two things happen. Number one, it brings joy to the righteous. And number two, it brings terror to evildoers. And we want to pray for that during this time. We want to pray that God's justice would be done. And it would be two things. As those who are under oppression and suffering and losing their lives, that when they see justice done, the righteous joy, righteous joy would come into their life. And secondly, that when evil doers know that there is a God of justice, that this would strike terror into their hearts terror into the hearts of soldiers who um, are invading another country, terror into the hearts of leaders of those soldiers to think twice and to turn back from what they're doing because they know that they will be judged by a just God. May that strike terror into their hearts. We also see from Scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that it says that, God says, if my people, my people, the church, if my people, the church, or God's people, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek after God, God will heal the land. 
One of the other things that we need to pray for during this time is that the church herself would humble herself before God, would seek God out, from turn from our wicked ways. If we want God to heal the land, it really begins with the church. And so the first thing that we need to remember this morning is what we need to pray. Um, we offered twice this week. I know it was just kind of last minute, but you know how war goes. It just kind of breaks out. and You kind of have to respond. I actually think that sometimes some of the, the best Christian ministry happens on the fly. And so we offered two Zoom gatherings this week. Some of you showed up. Uh, it was great last night because uh, there was a few of us that were praying for an hour. We prayed over maybe about a dozen different topics. And uh, my Compassion International, uh, he's, not a, he's a man now, but I, when I met him when he, he was a child, he came in on Zoom from Rwanda and he joined us. Kasang with Sylvester. I've had a 20-year relationship with him and he joined us on Zoom to pray for this. And I was sitting there going, you know what? If he can zoom in from Rwanda, uh, you know, we can make time for those things, right? And so let's make time for that right now. Um, I'm going to invite Matt, who is uh, who leads our global missions team, and he's going to lead us in a prayer to pray for the situation uh, in this war. Yes, good morning, everyone. So again, yeah, I'll, I'll be representing the Global Missions Committee for us today. And obviously, this time will uh, take the place of our normal community prayer as well. Um, I did want to challenge you guys to take a more active role in the prayer today. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of different topics, like Pastor Chris was talking about, to kind of mull over and prayer in your own quietness of your heart and give you time to kind of... Um, you know, um, be able to to identify and mourn with some of the believers over in Ukraine and also the leaders and so forth. So why don't we go ahead and um, just close your eyes and just prepare yourself. The first thing I, I want you guys to pray for and remember is just the churches and believers in Ukraine. Um, as Garen was saying in his uh, opening for worship, you know, th- these are our brothers and our sisters um, over there. Um, the thing that came to mind for me was a prayer of King Jehoshaphat who said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are focused on you. And he was in a similar situation as some of the Ukrainian churches right now. So take a moment to pray for that. Next, let's take a moment to pray for the leaders, um, Putin, uh, Zelensky, Biden. Um, Proverbs twenty one twenty one says, the heart of the king is like rivers of water in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it where he wishes. Let's pray for them and their decision-making and also salvation, as Pastor Chris had mentioned. And lastly, let's pray, let's pray for the church, um, not just um, in Ukraine, but also across the world and believers. Um, Christ calls us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as just as this becomes more and more politicized, um, pray for believers that we'd be able to reflect God's character in these times of struggle.
God, we just lift up this time, um, just um, mourning, and, and our hearts are breaking for the churches and just the things that they're going to have to go through or they are going through right now with pastors, even meeting on a Sunday morning, God, um, amidst war. Um, our heart breaks for them, our brothers and sisters. And that's that's why we're, we're turning to you right now, God, because it's so removed from our, our daily life right now across the world. But God, we know that you're omnipresent um, and that you listen to our prayers even across the world. So God, we are, for the most part, we just feel so helpless. But God, we know that um, we can lift our concerns up to you and you will address them um, within your time and in your will. So God, um, yeah, may these, these prayers um, just be uh, sweet music to your ears. Praise St. Jane. Amen. Okay, thank you, Matt. When Matt was praying, I was reminded of this passage in James chapter 5, where James says, the prayers of a righteous person have great power uh, while they are at work. Prayers of a righteous person availeth much. And you may think it's just words, but what is happening in the spiritual realm is very powerful. Um, It aligns our heart with God's heart. Uh, It can even move God's heart. And so that really matters. And I think um, these prayers will make the difference. A second thing that believers need to be a part of for a biblical perspective on war is to help. Is to help. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one member of the body is honored, we are all honored. And we think about these believers, not just the unbelievers, but the believers that are suffering in Ukraine. And as they suffer, we should suffer too. That's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that because the same Holy Spirit lives in you, who lives in the believers in Ukraine, who lives in the believers in Russia and elsewhere, Romania, Poland, that connects us spiritually to them. And so when we see them suffering, it is as if our own body is suffering. And there's some truth to that spiritually of what's happening. And so we want to help. Psalm 82 verse 3 says that when you defend the weak and the fatherless, you uphold the cause of the poor. And that God blesses that. God blesses that when you do that. James chapter 1 verse 27 says that true religion is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. And there are many orphans, widows, and people who are in distress right now. Looking at refugees, you're looking at people who are poor, who are suffering, who are dying. And so... Our response as Christians, a biblical perspective is not just to have a perspective, it is to actually respond. It is to respond in prayer and it is to respond in help. Now, we're at the other side of the world, so it's not like we can just hop on a plane and go there. Uh, but there are people that do hop on a plane and go there that are already there. There are people who already have ministries in the areas that, whether that's through the radio whether that's people who are already missionaries there, whether there are large Christian organizations that have these huge resources and planes that are flying out, humanitarian aid, whatever that might be, that we can help. And so uh, the elders got together last night. We talked about this. We made a decision based upon our giving today. So I'm going to have Norm come up and share a little bit about that now. Yeah, well, we'll use this time as our um, tithes and offerings, but uh, we decided um, for this week uh, on the tithes and offerings that we do receive between now and next Saturday, whether it's in person or online, uh, we're going to dedicate 50% 
of that uh, to certain outreaches. Um, uh, we'll kind of break it up into the third if you want some of the details, you know, uh, through uh, Mushin's radio uh, uh, ministry to the Ukrainians and Russians sharing the Gospels with the, the ladies. Uh, that'll be a third of them. Um, also, uh, they also uh, uh, witnessed to China as well. This could also be an impact with China as they're watching um, what's going on here. So a third of it will go in that direction. Um, again, it's their organization, and sharing the gospel is the key thing that we're doing here. So we're actually partaking of that. And then as Pastor Chris was mentioning, as far as uh, the Samaritan's Purse, uh, we'll also, which a lot of us are familiar with, their organization, that we will also be uh, giving a third of that uh, as well. Um, so we encourage you guys, uh, when you do give, it, it's, um, it's, it's part of the sacrifice. This, is, this is, allows us to be part, truly partakers. You may be thinking, how can I get involved? This is a way that you can get involved. How can it directly impact? This is a way that you can directly impact them. Uh, and it's uh, focused on sharing the gospel and uh, supplying uh, uh, in, in, a, um, in a practical way. So let's just pray uh, for this time, and uh, we will receive uh, today's tithes and offerings. Again, it's between now and then uh, on Saturday. So, uh, Father, um, as your word says that we are one body, God, and sometimes when there's an ache in one part of our bodies, our whole mind thinks about that. And uh, there truly are uh, believers that are suffering on the other side of this country that we may never meet. Uh, at least on this side of heaven. But Father, we take your word um, as 100% true, that as we pay attention to the, uh, the areas of aching and suffering, uh, God, that you will honor that. So Father, we just pray, the little that we do give, Father, we just pray uh, that it makes a difference in someone's life, whether it's uh, to, to, to open someone's eyes for the first time to know you, God, or just to provide a meal, uh, clothing, however it may be, Lord. We want to do our part, God, and uh, we trust you as it goes into the right hands and the right families and the right people, Lord, to really truly minister uh, to them uh, physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually. Father, we just pray for the ears to be prepared to receive your gospel so that you can alter their life through the work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Um, so again, we encourage you guys to go on the app and give there, or we'd like to receive your tithes and offerings right now. Thank you. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you this. Uh, Lorraine and I decided to give to quadruple our offering today. We give a set amount every Sunday, and we just decided to go 4x on that for this. And so I tell you that, um, not to guilt you, but I, I do think it's very important that when you have leaders in a church, uh, that they can say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. You can make your own decision. Nobody, you know, no one's going to say great job or not. It's between you and the Lord. Um, but I want you to know that we take this seriously. And so um, you can make up your own decision on that one. So as believers, we're to pray, we're to help. And I want to go to two points right now in terms of our biblical perspective, our understanding of war. And um, the third point for this morning is we need to ask ourselves, what is the real war? Who is the real hero? Who is the real savior amidst war? Because there are wars that are happening between individuals. There are wars that are happening between nations. As a Christian, whenever you look at war, we listen to the news, we read, we watch these things, and we are so focused on the personalities of the leaders. We're so focused on uh, the men who have guns and, and who ride in tanks. We're so focused on the geopolitical ramifications for a region in Europe or Asia or elsewhere. And we tend to focus on these faces and these personalities and these country histories and these 
forecasts of what the economic and political and social and cultural landscape will look like in the future. We all understand that. That's, that's human. That's practical. But as a Christian, we are to look beyond that. We are to look into the spiritual realm. Whenever war happens, we are to recognize that, yes, there is a practical element of people living and dying and suffering. But we are always to remember, what is the real war? Who is the real hero? Who is the real savior in all of this? The world has its answers to those questions. The world is looking at Zelensky and saying, this man is a hero. I wish, you know, my leader in my country were like that. And in many ways, he is a hero, but he's not the real hero. People are looking at NATO and saying, how can this conglomeration of countries come together to save us, to, to stop this evil? People are looking at Elon Musk and saying how great it was that one of the cabinet members of Zelensky in Ukraine reached out to him and said, can you help us with our internet? And within 10 hours, he activated some of the satellites that he controls to allow broadband access across the country. People are praising him. Hey, that's, that's a good thing. People are looking at the, the cyber hacker group Anonymous, through whom Zelensky called upon the hackers of the world to disrupt the, the Russian uh, military and government in cyberspace. And Anonymous responded back and says, we have answered the call. We are disrupting the Russians in this way. I mean, that's kind of kind of cool in a perverse way, right? To be like these, these villains that get to use their villainy for, for kind of good. Uh, people are looking at uh, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency saying, hey, you know what? This is the way to escape this whole mess. The world is looking at this whole situation and choosing their heroes, choosing their saviors, choosing who the real villain is. And so as Christians, we are to remember that when we see war, this is not primarily about what we see, but what is happening in the unseen spiritual realm. This is about what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, when he said that there is a hostility that is inherent to the human heart, a hostility between one person to another that doesn't go away with just educating about race or economics or cultural backgrounds. There is an inherent hostility, Paul said in Ephesians 2, that divides people. There's a wall between us. There's a hostility between human beings and God, a wall between human beings and God that cannot be torn down outside of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2. Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 5 and 2 Corinthians 5, that we are enemies of God because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion against God. Every single one of us, from the time we were born as a baby to the time we die in the grave, we are, we are positionally enemies. God loves us, but we are enemies positionally. And yet it is Christ, Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 5, who has reconciled us to God. And so it is Christ who is the true hero. Christ, who is the true savior in this. And so as we look at this world, as we perhaps have hope that some peace talks can happen, as they're talking about this morning, we as Christians need to celebrate hope in that. But we also need to always look beyond that and say, even if there are peace, you just look at the Middle East, how many peace accords have happened between Israel and the Palestinians? How many of them are broken? Peace accords do not create peace between people. They create a temporary ceasefire. Economic motivations, political threats, they just, they just stop the violence on the outside. They do not change the human heart on the inside. It doesn't nothing, zero, to heal the human heart. And that's why we will always hate one another because we are different races. We will hate one another because of money or possessions or our jealousy and our greed, our pride. We will always be at war with God until, until the one who made peace on our behalf on the cross comes into your heart, into the hearts of Putin, to the hearts of 
the Ukrainians, the Russians, the NATO, whoever else, China. And uh, that should be your conversation with your friends. That should be your conversation on social media. That you should be a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, make straight the way for the Lord. And so we as Christians, we are to act, we are to pray, we are to help, we are to remember who the true Savior and heroes, and we are to testify to that. And as part of that, this is why we at this church want to be involved, actively involved in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We want to take the gospel, be part of this grand history, this grand uh, story, this grand uh, journey to lift up the hero of Jesus Christ and the Savior of Jesus Christ. We want to be part of that, to taking that to the ends of the earth. You never know how the efforts of the church, the wider church, of which our church is part of, can change things. When people hear the gospel, Ukraine, Russia, China, wherever that might be. And so that is why we support the Strombergs, who have just gotten their visa after like two years and are headed out to Birmingham, uh, England, to minister to the Southeast Asians there. And we're partnering with them. And once they establish their ministry, we're going to be sending out missions teams to join them in their work to England. That is why we support uh, Matt, who wants to be and will be a missionary, a full-time missionary in Japan. And we're raising support for him. And by the way, if you have not had an opportunity to meet with Matt F., to hear about just how excited he is to bring the gospel and to partner with those in Japan to do God's work. Meet with him. Approach him. And say, hey, I want to hear about more about your ministry. Even if you choose to just support him prayerfully, or maybe not financially. Lorraine and I, we support Matt monthly, financially. And we believe in him. But this is what we do. We want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why the Susumas, who go out to, to Africa, we've supported them in the past. Or we want to send a team to Japan, uh, to Mexico, wherever that might be. Because we believe that Jesus is the real hero and Savior. We believe people need to know. We believe that going out to the ends of the earth makes the difference. Not a, but makes the difference. What would have happened if some missionary had reached Putin five years ago? Maybe he's been witness to and he just rejects it. But what could, how could things have been different? Those thousands of people that are losing their lives right now, would that have been different? From maybe not from God's sovereignty, but from a human perspective, a human side of it, looking at it, maybe. So this is why we go. And number four for this morning is we want to have a perspective on the end times. Whenever war comes about, we should always be reminded as believers, we are living in the end times. And as part of the end times, there is war. Not just between people, not just in the human heart, not just between God, but on a global scale. One of the signs that you are in the end times is, is global war. And I want to take you to two passages there. Uh, one is in Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. And Jesus here is in a, uh, giving the Olivier Discourse. This is right before he goes to the cross. And he's talking about signs of the end times. And by the way, uh, we are in the end times. The end times technically started theologically um, when Jesus came. And so we have been in this long period of the end times. And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 14, Jesus says this, As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, 
privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will lead, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pangs. Verse 9. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will be grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the mark of the end times. Nation will rise up against nation. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. People, believers will fall away. Their love will grow cold. There will be the rise of false teachers. People will celebrate their lawlessness. It will increase. But Jesus gives hope in verse 13. He says, the one who endures the end will be saved. Will you endure? You know, as I've gotten older, what impresses me most about Christians now, what used to impress me when I was younger about certain Christians was how talented, gifted, how knowledgeable they were, how much ministry experience they were, maybe even some worldly criteria, you know, how much power or fame, whatever they was. That kind of impressed me when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, actually, uh, what impresses me far more than that is simply Christians who endure to the very end. When you see believers, when they are in the hospital and they hold on to their faith to the very end, that impresses me. When you see older believers who have lived a life of faith, maybe it wasn't just a straight line up and to the right, but they held on to their faith and they endured, that impresses me. Because a lot of believers don't endure to the end. And they bail. What's it going to take for you to bail on Christ? What's it going to take for you to live a lawless life apart from the commands of Scripture? Is it a temptation? Is it a trial? Is it a time of God testing? What's it going to take for you to say, I'm no longer going to endure in Christian obedience to my Lord and Savior? Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world and the testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. We need to live as if we are in the end times, not just because we are, but because this is, I am convinced, I'm convinced that we're, we're sitting here 2,000 plus years or so from the time Jesus says these words, some 2,000 years. And some people would say, well, well, you know, how is it the end times? You've been waiting for 2,000 years. I don't think that's the point. I think what the point is, is that God knows the hour and the time in which he'll come. We don't. I think the point is he wants every believer at every time in every era to live as if that was the very end. And when you commit to living as if this is the very end, rumors of wars, false prophets rising, believers falling away, it brings urgency to your faith. It brings purity to your faith. And I would urge you to look at your faith that way. You do not want to live your faith as if you have all the time in the world. What God is looking for is he is looking for believers who have urgency, who literally wake up every day and say, this is the end. This is the end. Now, I'm not worried about the end where I'm going to go, but I'm going to live with a sense of urgency as if this was the end times. I can make my plans for the future. I can want to get married, have kids. I can save. That's fine. But there will be a spiritual urgency to my life. 
as if we, uh, this is the, the very end of the end times. And I think God is looking to bless those types of believers, those types of churches. And so we need to live as if what war is a reminder we are in the end times. And secondly, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 21. When we see war, we are to be reminded of living in the end times, to live as if it's happening now, but we also need to live in the end times, with a confidence, with the confidence that our king will prevail and we will prevail in the end. Are you confident? Are you confident? We're praying that the Ukrainian believers are confident, the Russian believers are confident, not that their country will prevail, but their king, their true king, Lord Jesus Christ, will prevail. And you're going to be part of that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 20. This is really the end. says this, John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of the Lord to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burned with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is graphic. That is a devastating defeat of the kingdom of darkness. The birds of the air feeding on the flesh of evildoers. The king, Lord Jesus, coming on a white horse with all of his angels. He just speaks a word. That's the sword coming out of his mouth. The sword is the word of God. He just speaks and they are defeated. He speaks and the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell. And this is the victory that we have as believers. When we see war, we are to be reminded the war is ours, ultimately. Whatever... Hitler's, Mussolini's, and Genghis Khan's, and Osama bin Laden's, and Putin's may rise up. These believers, these, these believers throughout church history, who've been in the, anywhere from the Roman Colosseum to these small towns, seeing their wives getting raped, their children getting beaten, this is what we hold on to as believers. That in the end, we worship a God who make, will make all things right, who will be victorious, and who will punish evil, and that we are part of that. If you are not a Christian, you do not have that guarantee. And I believe that if we are to face that kind of suffering, that kind of persecution, what you really ground you and hold on, you hold on to 
in those moments of suffering and, and pain and loss and death is you knowing that in the end, your God will make things right. Your God is a God of justice. Your God will save you, maybe not even your life here on this earth, but you will be saved in eternity. And that is what we should remember when we see war. We want the people who are going through this to place their confidence in a conquering king who will return. And so as uh, we think about war, we want to pray. We want to help. We want to remind ourselves who the true hero and savior is. What is the real war? And uh, we want to be reminded that war is a sign of the end of things, but it will not have the final say. Believers, it will be just the beginning in the end for our, our life with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we have come together to, to reflect, to help, to be reminded of the war around us, the war that is in the human heart, the war that rages amidst the principalities, powers in this world, you have victory over that. And if you have victory over the kingdom of darkness, you can certainly grant us victory in whatever struggle and trial we are going through right now. May we not lose confidence in our God to deliver. City Bible Church, God wants you to not lose confidence in your God who will deliver. Do you believe that? If you do, say amen with me now. Amen, Lord. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Let's stand together and we'll close in worship.